this movie i think is i i like it i think it kind of worked because you took um like diane keaton just when you watch her on screen she's a great actress but i to me i'm like that's how she diane stay eaten there you go (laughs) it's hard not to think about like annie hall and shit and all these other rom-coms she's been in she plays like a similar type character and plays it the same way but it works kind of anachronistically to like insert that same vibe into an old timey setting like this, because uh, like what you were saying earlier, Anders, it's like a, like th- these people were, were anachronistic. They were forward yeah. thinking and they stuck out in their time or whatever. So like for the for, it almost looks like it feels like looking at like one of those black and white photos where they color one thing in and it pops out a little bit and it like plays with, you know, this duality or whatever. Mm hmm. Um, and the fact that they were all uh, free love freaks, I think, is also really interesting because it's uh, it's Brooklyn, man. It's the same thing. It's everyone's a poly communist or whatever. And, or is it the very least like until like, the purge? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a big I mean, part of the film. <laughs> right. But, but like uh, throwing those sorts of questions around it's interesting that they're able to like tell a story that pushes on those sorts of social boundaries and stuff within uh, the confines of what is like a kind of a, like a romantic movie, which itself is a trad sort of monogamistic thing to do. I don't know. It's cool. I I love glad that they were able to like, um, it seemed like they just thread the needle between a lot of things and they were able to tell the story really well. Yeah, yeah, it's all about uh, contradictions. It's a good, good Marxist tale in that way. Yeah, um, I yeah, was I thinking like, like if it, if it could have been adapted to this format, which you couldn't do in 1981, it would be like a great like HBO mini series. But right. you could also not sell this now with this concept as an HBO mini series, unless it's like, can you be a communist in Middle Earth? Right. That's why I was so kind of confused when I was watching this because I'd never heard of this. And uh, it just seemed like one of those things where it was like, wow, why didn't everyone talk about this in like 2016 or something? Like, why wasn't this this huge deal? Because this isn't an obscure movie. This movie was nominated for like best picture and shit. It was nominated for like, like it almost swept the Oscars. Yeah, he won best director. Longest picture. It, yeah. <laughs> it seems crazy to think about because it seems to violate all of these like pre, like um, conceptions that I have now living in America now where it seems like there's shit you can't really say and stories you're not allowed to tell. I think this is why why a lot of older leftists have this thing where they're they're they overlap with liberals a lot harder than us and they don't have like this dividing line is because like they grew up in a time when you. I don't know. This stuff wasn't being singled out and made illegal and stuff like that. Well, you weren't. I mean, while the Soviet Union was around in American culture, there were not people lining up to say good things about it. I mean, and those people that were were like singled out and asked to leave the country or thrown in jail. So deliberately a few times. So uh, that's a choice. And, And the reason in 1981, I guess this this just seems so strange to me. And maybe Andrews, you know a little bit more about this is I gotta, I think the setting they're going for is like two old romantics who are thrown into 
politics by the scale of their passion, despite the fact not knowing, as we know now, the Soviet Union is the devil's playground. Right. That's why they put all their old those old people in the movie to constantly to remind you, (laughs) I don't like it and I'm famous. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, I I don't think this movie would have gotten made without the will of Warren Beatty. He was able to build a lot of credibility in Hollywood and convince Paramount to produce it. And this was at a time, remember, when um, directors had a lot more autonomy, where Hollywood was more concerned with um, artistic merit in a way that they're not as much now. Um, and this is right around the time. I think this actually may have happened, may have been the same year or perhaps a year or two after, but Heaven's Gate was this movie, not the cult, but this this blockbuster movie that they spent a ton of money on. And this was in the era where your director, uh, you got carte blanche. We're in the business of making art and we want you to uh, fulfill your vision. And Heaven's Gate totally bombed and that changed the system. So the studios um, started taking back control and all that stuff. But Warren Beatty, I think because he's Warren Beatty, and this may have this was right around the time that was happening. So this kind of inched in, got in the back door. Um, he refused any notes or or oversight from the studio. He was like, "This is my movie. I'm going to make." It. He wrote it with a, a another writer who's a Marxist um, because he loved the story uh, and its history. You know, and I think that's how a lot of people justified it. It was like, "Well, people should know about the history. This is our country, and we we love freedom of speech in America." You know. Um, so it, for that reason, I guess it didn't seem as weird. I think because it was about Americans primarily, and this is part of American history. Um, old backdoor Beatty. The strangest thing about this though, is Warren Beatty actually screened it in the white house for Reagan and Reagan liked it. And his only complaint was was, moving pictures, (laughs) but his only complaint was like, Ah, it's a sad ending. But other than that, he thought it was a good movie, supposedly. So it is a very sad ending. Yeah. Why um, did he kill the communists from inside their hospital? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. The access he had inside that hospital. Yeah, I think it's yeah, like yeah. I think just artistically, not even with uh, political stuff necessarily, but. That certainly was is a huge part of it. Um, I, I think that like that that kind of speaks to like the American schizophrenic mindset about things like this, where it's so forbidden to see something like this for what it is, which is a story, you know, that's portraying a communist revolutionary kind of defector almost in like a positive light. That's uh-huh. like so absurd that you can only see it as an like an individuated story about a guy who just some things happen to and like everything else is just like happenstance and setting or whatever. Right. Yeah. There there are a few nods in the movie too if you are a Ronald Reagan towards the end where he's in the Soviet Union post-revolution and they're like, I'm not sure this revolution's all it's cracked up to be. Where if you were on the other side, you'd be like, see, I'm all right. I'm yeah, back on board. I could see that. Where, yeah. Between the, like the love story with like what they're talking about with like free love and also the main sort of questions of the revolution, 
This movie scared the shit out of me a few times where I was like, are they about to fucking compromise all of this really hard and have like a moral lesson at the end where it turns out this was all a bad idea and don't do this or whatever. But they didn't I do should, it. I should have married Eugene O'Neill. Yeah, right. I, mean, I was wondering a few times. I'm like, is this just gonna re- fucking? Are they gonna stamp a Hollywood ending onto the? Because like, that's like every movie is. Yeah, the guy gets the girl, and then there he, he makes her his wife, and then the credits roll, and don't ask about what happens after that. You know, There's that famous line: "I could have had that potato dick." Yeah, she <laughs> said that. It's crazy. No, it's crazy. <laughs> well, my one of my fa- I keep saying my favorite part, but this uh, I think probably is my favorite part of the movie. Um, Emma Goldman is a character referred to as E.G. She's. I good- was going to say when he starts saying, "Okay, I know we're jumping all over this <laughs> fucking movie." I was watching this three in the morning. It's three hours long. The character Jack Creed talks like an old timey radio guy. When he's he friends with Emma Goldman and he starts referring to her as like E.G. Listen to me. I like jumped out of my chair and I was just like Anders. I was pointing at the screen and going, "Why is he talking like Anders?" <laughs> Anders. It was a time where everyone was Anders. <laughs> That's what Anders would have called Emma Goldman if he was friends with her. It's me in another life. <laughs> it really is, man. 